hey, I got this fan on, man. Son, <laughs> just come on up, man. <laughs> you, I love you. I love you, too. Thank you. Hey, man, how could you fail when somebody's praying for you come like on, that? Man. Wow. Man, that is so awesome. You know, I'm so thankful to be here tonight. I love, we were out there discussing how long we've been doing this. And uh, I said, maybe a year or two. And somebody said, I think we've been doing it for five years. Who knows how long we have, but it's just been so much fun. And what a blessing it has been to enjoy this company together. I think uh, of this time as practice, practice for heaven. Really it is. I mean, you know, like Hal said, we let down every label, every peculiar thought that we might have. And everybody's got their uniqueness and individuality. I know that. But, but when it all comes down to it, it all matters. One thing matters, and that's whether or not we know and uh, love Jesus Christ, yes, who is the only begotten Son of God. Amen. And he's the one that has drawn us here tonight. Yes, he's sir. the reason why we've come. And we just want to honor him and extol him and lift him up. Amen. And so we ask the Holy Spirit to help us uh, in, this, in this passion that we have for him to share that and to stir up the gift of God in, in all of us. You know, I'm going to talk on a subject tonight, and uh, I'll tell you what it is before we read the section that we want to read, and that is the, the topic, we groan. We groan. And, uh, and, you know, as I think about this old world that we're living in, it just does seem as though it's beginning to come apart at the seams. I'm sure throughout the generations people felt the same way. But uh, certainly in our time, there, we get a lot of bad information and a lot of disappointing things that happen to us personally and that happen to us in our, in our culture and our time. And, uh, and i tell you the truth, we need hope in our hearts. We need something that can help us look beyond where we are and see a better future for us. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn with me to the book of Romans. Uh, to the chapter 8, and we're going to start reading with verse 18. Actually, this is a difficult uh, thing to do when, you, when something is so packed with truth and a continuous flow in thought as it is in the book of Romans to even take one part of it out. You just sort of have to break it off and say, this is the part we're going to discuss right now. And hopefully I can fill in some places on the beginning and on the end of what we'll be reading tonight. But verse 18 will be the section that we start with. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 through verse 27. And this is the word of God. He said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Mm. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Mm. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting the adoption, the redemption of our body. Praise God. Amen. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? 
But if we hope for what we do not see, watch this, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself, that would be the Spirit of God, makes intercession for us. What? With groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And may all the people of God say amen, amen. at the reading of his word. You know, for those of you who have studied the book of Romans, it's probably one of the most exciting letters that Paul ever wrote about the doctrine of justification and uh, our uh, sanctification through the finished work of Jesus Christ. He paints, uh, in fact, I started a series this morning uh, on the book of Romans at our church, and I'm going to preach through Romans because it's just something that every believer needs that foundation in their life. I find that that's woefully lacking in a lot of people's lives. People that believe in God, but they don't have the foundation of the Word of God to help them know what God has done for them in Jesus Christ so that when trouble comes and when difficulty comes, it doesn't wash them off of the foundation of their faith. And so, you know, in the seventh chapter, though, this is a familiar passage for most of us, the one that preceded this one. We read where the Apostle Paul is struggling. You know, he's talking about the struggle that takes place between his inner man and his outer man. You know, the flesh and the spirit. And he says, the thing that I want to do, I, I find myself not doing. And the thing that I know I ought not to do, that's what I do. You know, he said, I see this law working in me. He said, I have a will to do what's right, but I find not the strength to do it. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? He said, thanks be to God, Jesus did. And then he gets into the eighth chapter. And as he starts the beginning of the chapter that we just read, we see how he starts talking about how that Christ has delivered us from the condemnation of sin and death by a new law, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. And, and, and he talks about what it means to walk in the spirit and live in the spirit. But we know that even though we have been regenerated, we've been born again, we know that we still struggle. The old nature, the old man is in struggle with the new creation in Christ Jesus. And if you've been born again, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's, that's a common thing. The Bible says there is no temptation, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted beyond what the, you are able, but with the temptation he shall deliver you, see. And so we see that when we live according to the flesh and our minds are set on the things of the flesh, that's death. And that when we set our minds on the things of the Spirit, it's life and peace. So there is this possibility, there is this promise, hallelujah, that we can live in victory, that we can live with the victory of Christ in our life. That does not mean that we're not going to struggle. That does not mean, in fact, we know that from the Scriptures we will struggle, that the, that the flesh is struggling against the Spirit, the old nature the body of death that he spoke of, that which is corruptible and it's going back to the dust from which it was created, that is tainted by sin, that's going to continue to be a difficulty and it's going to be resistance there. But in this passage, we come to this section that we have here before us 
And as Paul has powerfully laid out the tenets of redemption, the promise of what God did for us in Christ Jesus, and I'm just trusting that you will have studied the book of Romans some and that you can put some of that into place where you know uh, what I'm talking about when he says that in Christ our sins are forgiven, that he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him and that we're justified by faith in him. And we live by that promise of God's finished work in our life. Jesus is the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. We stand in a righteous relationship with God now by virtues of what Christ did for us and our faith in him. Amen. But even with all that being said, we still live in a fallen world. We still live in fallen bodies. We still are suffering with temptation, not only our own, but people around us. I don't know about you, uh, Brother Bill and Brother James, but I'm, I'm tired of, uh, of doing funerals. I'm, I'm sick of hearing tragic news. I don't like to sit and hear another bad thing, watch another bad thing on television, you see. There's so many things that cause our hearts pain. And so it seems to me that when he comes to this section, it's almost like Paul is offering a, a sort of a sigh, a kind of a pause from the mechanics of, of the redemptive work of Christ and how we can live in victory over the flesh. And it's almost as if he becomes a bit reflective when he, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed. And there's almost a sense of pause there, like how do you process where we are in the struggles that we must live with? I think of something that C.S. Lewis said. In fact, it's one of my favorite quotes of his, and my, one of my daughters put that on a thing that I could, she framed it and gave it to me for Christmas. But he said this. He said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You see, there's a sense of yearning. There's almost a sense. In fact, our topic tonight is we groan. There's a sense of groaning here. There's something that, that the word that's used in this verse three times that expresses where we all struggle if we have Christ in us, the hope of glory, that that word is the word grown. I'm going to break this down into three main areas, main parts of this section that we've read. The first part of it is I want to talk to you about the groan of creation. Did you notice in verse 19, 20, verse 21 and verse 22, he says the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself, look at this, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation is groaning and laboring with birth pangs together until now. And that sort of reminds me of something that happened in the ministry of Jesus. Whenever he was coming in on his triumphal entry, you know, in, in Luke chapter 19, and, 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 and 
they were saying, Hosanna, you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Somebody says, you need to stop this nonsense. They shouldn't be praising you like that. And he told them, he said, and he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones, would, the literal rocks would begin to cry out. And I looked that word up, to cry out, and it means to croak or to scream like a, a raven. In other words, and, and he's talking now about inanimate things. He's talking about rocks. And the Bible says, let everything that have, have breath Praise to God. Give praise to God. You know, even the grass is breathing. It's breathing in carbon dioxide or, and it's breathing out oxygen, right? And so the creation is breathing. Everything's moving and things are praising God. Let the grass of the field praise him. Let the trees clap their hands. Yeah. I had a most unusual experience back in the spring. I know this sounds a little bit weird, but I'm a little weird, so that's okay. <laughs> I'm driving my bus one afternoon, and the, you know, and the door, the windows were open, and and I came by somebody's house, and there was a beautiful uh, plum tree or some kind of a flowering tree in their yard, and I don't know how to express what I felt. It was obviously a beautiful sight, but sometimes there's also an emit an emitting of of another sound, a sound that would be unintelligible to human ears. And it was like I heard, I saw, I felt the blast of the glory of God's creation in that plant, screaming out, glory to God. Let the heavens declare the glory of God. There's this sense, in this case, that the earth is the very creative, all the earth and everything in it was corrupted. We read, uh, he explained in this statement something about the creation that happened to the creation as the result of Adam's sin. It said it was subjected to futility and corruption. Before the fall of man, the creation looked very different than what it looks like today. Now, that's hard for us to understand that because we weren't there. What we know is what we see now. But before sin came, the earth itself and the heavens were not tainted by man's sin and corruption had not come in that point. The only way I can explain that in some ways that I understand, now, years ago I was traveling, uh, I was going to college and I was coming down here and so I had a lot of, a lot of hours of sitting in the car and listening and praying and, and just pr being enjoying the fellowship of God. And in those days, back in the 80s, there wasn't always good gas stations where you could stop and use the bathroom if you needed to do so. And I had gone through a very long, I told you I'm weird, so y'all hang in there with me. <laughs> So anyway, I'm, I'm driving down there and, you know, had to use the restroom so badly, but there was no place to go. And finally, I saw this gas station, little hole-in-the-wall place, and I whipped in there. You know, you remember the place where you go get the big, the men's and the women's, it's a big wooden thing, and, and you have to go around to the back and open the door. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And so I went in, and I'm just hurrying as quick as I can because, I mean, I really need to use the restroom, and I opened the door, and when I did, I, they must not have cleaned that place up in a year. I mean, that was the nastiest, the stinkiest place, and I promise you, I, if I wasn't in such need, I would not have gone in there. It was so nasty. It was so stinky. And I walked in literally holding my breath. You know, because I was thinking, I'm not going to be in here long. I sure ain't camping out in here. And I was holding my breath, only breathing as much as I had to. And whenever I stepped out the door, I put my hand on the knob and I walked out with such a great anticipation of breathing in fresh air. And as soon as I did, 
the Spirit of God within me spoke to me in my heart. And he said to me, he said, son, he said, there is more difference, far more difference between where I am and where you are than there exists between the inside stale, stinky air of this bathroom and the fresh air of the outside. He said, the problem is, is that you don't know how fresh the air is on the outside because you hadn't been there yet. And he said, consequently, you're not anticipating that breath like you're anticipating the breath in this way. You know, the truth is, is that sin has permeated the thing. Think of it this way. Here's another one of my weird examples. Imagine this, that God created a race only of men. I mean, for some reason that we don't know, that when God created humanity, he just made all males. And after so many years, he decided, I'm going to make a female. And so he makes a female. And when he makes a female, she's 95 years old. <laughs> and do you know what all the men would say about her? They'd say, that's the most beautiful thing we ever saw. That is what we say about this creation. Because we don't know what a 26-year-old beautiful model world should look like. But I'm telling you, the creation itself that was subjected to futility does. And it knows somehow, some way or another, that a redeeming day is coming for it. Glory to God. The scripture speaks about it as being the introduction of the glorious liberty of the children of God. <laughs> Woo! Glory to God. Amen. There's a deep moan, a cry emanating from the very heart of the creation to be redeemed. Even if that cry is unintelligible to men, God hears that cry because he made a covenant with his earth. And it's written in verse 21 that we read. The creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Now this tells us that we should definitely look to effect change. If we can clean up that nasty bathroom, then we should. But the reality is it'll never, ever, ever be as clean as God wants it to be until the Son of Man comes again to set things right. And he's coming soon. The creation now has an earnest expectation in the revealing for the sons of God. Do you know what the word earnest expectation means that's used in the text? It means to have your neck stretched out. Every now and then whenever you're preaching, you watch somebody unconsciously do that. Somebody that's so hungry for the word of God that they're literally leaning forward to try to hear better. You ever notice that? You ever seen that, Bill? You don't see it often. But when you do, it's almost like a sponge. It starts sucking it out of you. You'll feel it just coming, rushing out of your soul into somebody's life because of the hunger of people, the earnest expectations of, I am going to receive something from God, Almighty God. I came hungry, and I don't want to go away empty. Praise God. The Bible says that the creation itself has that kind of expectation. 
if it could speak to us in a language we could understand, it, we would hear it saying, Lord, how long? How much longer shall we live in this futility? This is not what you meant. This is not what you intended. The expe expectation is white hot. Mm. The creation groans. I want you to notice verse 23, verse 24, and verse 25. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Woo! Hallelujah. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he does not see? But if we hope for what we do not see, watch this, we are stretching our necks out with a white-hot sense of expectancy as if we could somehow speed it up by reaching forward. I've heard my dad talk about his grandmother that I never met, and I look forward to meeting her. said, uh, I think she was a Baptist, and said she wasn't a traditional Baptist. I met, apparently not. I believe she might have been sort of a Pentecostal kind of Baptist, and maybe some of that got in on me somewhere or another. I don't know. It must be in the genes. He said, I've seen my grandmother stand up on a pew and raise her hands up as if by standing on the pew, she could just reach higher to heaven somehow. And he said, I'd hear her scream out. He said, scare him to death. <laughs> but that's exactly what we're preaching about right here. The, Jesus said, I'll tell you, if I told him to be quiet, even the rocks would begin to scream out, Amen. crying out, how much longer, Lord? Please come quickly, Jesus. Mm. Mm. See, if you're not a Jew, which most of us aren't, or you've not studied the feasts in the Old Testament that God commanded the Israelites to observe, you will miss the richness of the imagery that Paul is using to describe the pouring out of the Spirit of God. Ooh, that's a good one. You see, the offering of the first fruit occurred on the day after the Passover where a barley sheaf was waved before the Lord as the first of the barley crop. And then, 50 days later, which would be Pentecost, two loaves were also offered. And God required that they would offer the first fruit to him from, from the increase of their crops. One of the things that they would be required to say, this is so cool, as they offered these, this first fruit thing, is they would say this, I profess this day that I am coming to the land which the Lord swear unto our fathers to give us. So get the picture. They're taking this barley thing and they're waving it before the Lord and as they're doing it in faith before the fullness of the harvest comes. They did that on the day after Passover and then 50 days later the rest of it was fulfilled. And so it was a symbol of promise that was yet to be fully realized. But their faith was involved in it because they were engaging the covenant promise by saying to God, we confess and we profess that we're going into the land which the Lord Almighty has promised for us. Amen. You see, that's hope because hope that is seen is not hope. For why would somebody hope for what they do not see? And so what we're doing as we look forward to the fulfillment of the fullness of the kingdom coming, we are anticipating it with such a faith 
that we're declaring it ahead of time as if it had already happened. Wow. Woo, glory to God. See, it's interesting, before the land was given to the people of Israel, in another illustration, God gave them a sample of its fruit. Do you remember when they sent in those 12 spies in Numbers chapter 13? The Bible tells us that when they came in, they were sent in to bring back a sampling of what was actually in the land. It tells us that they brought back pomegranates and figs and, and they bore them grapes and big clusters of grapes. You see, these are symbolisms. These are promises, symbolic promises of God for the new creation that he would fulfill ultimately in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not denying that they got their land and that was all part of God's plan for Israel. I'm saying what did it represent? Mm -hmm. It was pointing to the fullness of the kingdom come. And in this case, Paul uses this concept to exemplify the giving of the Holy Spirit, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And by the way, one of the greatest verses that I love is found in the fifth chapter of Romans, verse 5, and it says, And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so what God did was he gives us the first fruit of the Spirit. Now, when people have not the Holy Spirit, they've not been regenerated. They've never re been born again. You said, let me explain that. I mean, Baptists ought to know this. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm talking to the Presbyterians now. No, no, they know it too. But being born again means that you have been regenerated by the washing and the renewing power of the Holy Ghost. That happens when you and I confess Jesus as Lord and Master. And at the moment that we confessed our sins and confessed His Lordship, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts in a very literal way. We were regenerated, made alive together again with Him. Holy Spirit is poured out in our hearts at that very moment. Now, in Romans 5, 5, it tells us that something came along with the Holy Spirit when He was poured out. And that is hope. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, Voltaire on his, uh, when somebody doesn't have the Holy Spirit living in their heart, they don't have any hope beyond this world because hope of this nature has to come from somewhere else. You can do your best to be optimistic and to be positive as much as possible, but the truth is that kind of eternal hope that never disappoints is a supernatural fruit of the Spirit of God. That's part of it. So when people don't have that, such as in the case of Voltaire on his deathbed, he addressed his doctor and he said, I'm abandoned by... He was an atheist, you know, a French atheist. And he said that within a few years, every, every, uh, the only place you'll be able to find that Bible is in a dusty museum somewhere. And of course, 50 or so years after he died, his house was a printing press for Bible. <laughs> Seriously. God said, what did he say? <laughs> Watch this. Can't you just hear God saying that? Watch this. But why did he say what he said? 
I'll tell you why he said that. Because he didn't have any hope beyond this world. The Islamic jihadists think that if they die for Allah, their concept of heaven is all the sex and the booze and the food that they can stand. And that'll be heaven. Where did they get that? They got that from here. That's the best conception that they could come up with with what wonderful paradise would be because they don't have eternal hope. Eternal hope has to come from somewhere else. It has to be born in your hearts, in my heart. See, as Christians have been given the first fruit, the first fruit is the Holy Ghost inside. And when he comes in, he takes residency in our life. As soon as he enters our heart, heavenly hope, I'm going to say it again. As soon as somebody's been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, heavenly hope begins to burst upon our minds. We'll be surprised by this incredible impulse that we now have for something beyond this world. As C.S. Lewis said, if I find myself a longing for something that this world cannot supply, I must conclude that I'm not made for this world. You see, that is whenever we get in touch with heavenly hope. And so the Holy Spirit begins to paint in our hearts a picture of heaven and its glory. And so we read when the Apostle Paul said, I, I count, I reckon, that, that, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be coming. Where did that come from? It came out of the Holy Spirit birthing hope in his heart. Amen. Now listen to this right here. People quote this verse a lot, but they don't quote the next verse, and they should. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, we say, Well, you know, brother, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, Neither have hinted the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for those that love him. And they stop. And thus the conclusion is, there's no way you can know anything. But they didn't read the next verse. You know what it says? It says, but God, but God has revealed these things unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, even the deep things of God. Woo, glory to God. You see what God wants to do is he wants to bring like Holy Spirit email or something like that into your heart. <laughs> Sorry, Lord. That's the best I know how to describe it. It's like data is being transferred in an unseen way through the airways, we understand that. But somehow or another, the spirit of the living God is now conveying heaven's resources and an anticipation for the glory which is coming and it dawns on the inside of us. And we begin to eagerly anticipate it and look for it with hunger. See, when you talk to somebody if they don't have any hope, when they say, I have no hope at all, they have no hope for eternal life. Well, I might logically conclude that they're not born again. Now, I know people are in varying degrees of maturity and so forth. I understand that. And some people just had not gotten in touch with that yet very much. But I'm just telling you, it doesn't take very long for Holy Spirit on the inside of you to start producing hope because that's one of the fruits of the Spirit. 
Hope will start rising up on the inside of you. Hope for something better. And when you watch the news and when you see the horrible things that happen, we should do what we can. We should pray for kings and for all those who are in authority. And if God leads you in a path to go, you should go there. But ultimately, our Lord, our Master Jesus is going to make it right. We know that there's a better, better day coming. We know this. How do you know that? Because the Holy Spirit has birthed that within us. The heavenly hope, the Holy Spirit becomes so real that we literally begin to stretch our necks with expectant anticipation. We come to see, listen, this is a great statement. We, come, we begin to see this planet as the nasty here and now rather than the sweet by and by. We actually start to do that. You start saying, you know what, I'm, I'm glad for what the Lord's blessed me with, but you know what, it's all going to perish with the using. In fact, God might just leave me to give some of it away. That's about how much importance it means to me because the truth is, is that you, like somebody died that had a lot of money. They said, how much do you think he, he left? And the guy said, everything. <laughs> of course. And you say, are you saying it's wrong to have it? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying it's wrong to hope and to trust in uncertain riches. Amen. The Bible said we ought to trust in the living God who richly gives us all things to enjoy. Amen. Are we looking more for retirement? Are we looking more for the kingdom of God coming? That's what we ought to be living for. Sure. Now, I'm talking to all of us because we're human. Because we struggle with that. What will we do? What would happen if the economy fell? Blah, 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 blah. Well, I'm going to tell you something. The hope inside tells us that the Lord's in control. Wait on the Lord, and you shall renew your strength. You shall run and not be weary. You shall walk and not faint. I love this verse here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, watch this, has begotten us again. That means we've been born again, again to a living hope. I like that. I like the idea of living hope. Hope that lives on the inside of us. You know, as a matter of fact, it comes to a point where heaven is actually, you know, the more you dwell on that, and the more the Spirit of God begins to birth that and feel that out in your heart, heaven is, even though you've never been there, it's more real to you in the places you have been. Wow. You say, that's nonsense. That's mind over matter. No, it's not. See, this is not a vain thing. This is not an empty thing. It's real. And when people die, they're going to go somewhere. We ought to be groaning on the inside, looking forward, living each day out as best we can. Out of our inward man emanates a groan, a murmur, even a disgust with my fallen body. And a longing for my new one. Amen. Come on. Dear God. I was thinking about losing some weight a while back. Not for very long, actually. But <laughs> I started praying about that a little bit. And this is what I heard. Well, you can either be a fat old man or you can be a skinny old man. <laughs> the prospects aren't too good either way. You know the Lord's got a sense of humor. What he's got is a grip on reality. Better than any of us do. It's amazing how we deceive ourselves 
into thinking, oh, if I could just have a few more days, if I could just get this and that, I'd be happy. No, you won't. (laughs) Things cannot produce the kind of hope that God wants to birth in our hearts. There's a groan on the inside of us, emanating from our soul. Oh, Lord, how long? How much longer? Can I preach just a little bit longer to you here? One more thing. I want you to notice verse 26 and verse 27. We see the creation groan. We see we ourselves groaning. But look at verse 26 and verse 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself. Let me say that again. The Spirit himself. Not itself. Him. The person. The third person of the Godhead. Who thinks, who feels, who knows, who reveals, who speaks. Himself. The Spirit Himself makes intercession for us. Look at this. Oh my goodness. With groanings. Which cannot be understood. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Man, this is where it gets great. I'm telling you, not only did the Holy Spirit come and start birthing a hope for something better in our life, but because of his groaning on the inside of us, his intercessory work, his ministry of intercession on the inside of you, So here you are, stuck in a bad place of life. And you don't know what to do. And you're worrying about your child. You're worrying about their health. And you're worrying about their future. And you lay awake at night thinking about it. You wake up in the middle of the night and you can't sleep. And you're afraid you're getting an ulcer. And you're stuck. You know what you need? You need the groaning, intercessory help from above. You need Holy Spirit to begin to break through that trouble for you. Ooh, that's good. I know I'm preaching some stuff up in here now. (laughs) Something me and Julie, we've been doing lately is we've been trying to pray more and be more specific about our prayers. And one of the things that we keep landing on is something that's mentioned in the book of Proverbs where it talks about wisdom. And he said, our wisdom dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty invention. That means creative things that you didn't know. I'm talking about you got a problem, you got an issue, you got a roadblock in your life. Maybe you need to groan out this thing in prayer and let the Holy Spirit begin to make some breakthroughs in your life and teach you how to pray as you ought. You know, we think that we are in a good position to advise God. Now, Lord, I want you to keep us safe on this trip. And God's like, what kind of prayer is that? Keep us safe, Lord, and let us get back home safe. And the Lord's like, is that it? Why don't you give, let me give you something of substance to pray about? Let me show you how to pray. Let me fill your mouth with my intercessions. Let me guide you in, in a path of prayer that will be completely out of your uh, boundary level. 
Let me show you knowledge of witty invention. Let me break through in your behalf through you. He said, well, I thought the Holy Ghost was up in heaven. That's not what Jesus said. He said the Holy Spirit was going to come abide in you. Well, where do you think those intercessions are taking place? Not in heaven, in you, through prayer, through supplications. Sometimes, you know, you go to praying, and as you're praying before the Lord, and you're just starting, you're running into those places, and you don't know what to pray next, sometimes your prayer just comes out like a great groan. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where you start weeping before God, and you just begin to, just, you don't even know how to, you don't have words for it. But the Spirit of the living God is breaking through in your behalf as He intercedes for you and for others. Hallelujah. I love it. Woo! I'm telling you what He wants to do is lead us into places of victory over our flesh. That's that supply line that's coming from heaven. 1 Corinthians 10. There is no temptation but such as is common to men, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but when the temptation comes, what will he do? He'll provide a way of escape. See, this is God's, the intercessory work of the Spirit of God on the inside of us. You start off on a journey somewhere, and you you don't know what to do, you don't know how to do it, and you pray about it, and you pray through, and the Spirit of God says, don't go. And everybody in the family says, you're crazy. Or... You pray about it and you begin to intercede and the Spirit of the Lord begins to take hold together with you against whatever the struggle is. Amen. That's really what that word means. He takes hold together with you against the trouble. He catches hold together in the middle of that and he says, go ahead and go. And everybody says, no, don't go. You won't be safe. Hey, the safest place to go is where God's Spirit's leading you. That, those are the places of the greatest breakthrough. They're the places where we get, we enter the realm of getting closer to heaven without actually going. You see, and finally, I'm closing. What God wants to do is birth us into the fullness of God's will for our life. Really. I'm always talking to people all the time, and they say things like, man, I don't know what God wants me to do. Well, they're groaning. They're struggling. Well, if they read Romans 8, 26 through 27, they'd know what to do. You don't know what to do? Well, then get in before the Lord, man. Spend some extra time in prayer. Yeah. Wait upon the Lord. Be quiet and still in His presence. Read the Word of God and listen and wait for the Holy Spirit's groaning intercessory work to catch hold together with you against the trouble. Now I know from my heart's telling me this that there's a number of people that are here in this room tonight that are struggling with things that feel like humongous roadblocks in our life. And what I'm telling you is is that the Holy Spirit's groanings and His utterances that are unintelligible to us maybe he knows how to get you through this. I'm just telling you, he got an answer. So, well, what is it? I don't know. I'm not the Holy Ghost. <laughs> My question is, have you been regenerated? 
In other words, you've been born again. If you have, you've got the Spirit of God. You've been begotten again to this living hope. Romans 8, 28. Again, we take these verses, and we don't quote much of it. That's about the last thing I want to say here tonight. You know, and we know that all things work together for good. Those Actually, they even stop it off there. All things work together for good. Actually, that's not true. For one thing, that's not the whole verse. And we know that in all things, all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. Well, that's all part of that intercessory prayer thing. As we're ministering before the Lord and we're fasting and seeking his face and we're listening, Holy Spirit on the inside of us begins to reveal things to us. He starts showing you some stuff. We have a daughter in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. She's a teacher there, and she's ministering to children in a very difficult uh, city school situation. And uh, she went down there because the Lord sent her there, and I'm going all of that. But, you know, we're concerned, but we pray for her often. Our church family prays for her a lot. And she's laying hold of the hope which is set before her. She's digging it out with these a bunch of children and she's God's given her promises that none of these children are going to follow the path that their parents have breaking the cycle uh, there's a lot more that I could say about that but but anyway as you stay near to the spirit of God I'm coming home from church today and I just suddenly I knew that my daughter, my baby girl ain't doing good how do you know that stuff you know that because we live with an earnest expectation of the groanings of God's spirit within our lives and he we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself helps us with our infirmities, and he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, and he begins to intercede for us according to the will of God. He starts going in the place, and he has something that starts pressing on you, and so I said, uh, hey, baby girl, beautiful one, I was thinking about you and praying for you. And she wrote back, uh, text back, she said, uh, well, Dad, I love you too. And then my next question, are you well... And she said, actually not. She said, I had some kind of flu-like symptoms, and she said, I was up throwing up all night, and she said, I've got fever now. And I said, well, I know that I knew something was wrong. You said, you're crazy. <laughs> Maybe, but I got the spirit of the living God on the inside, and he's on her side, and he's on my side. And there's a white-hot expectancy that the spirit of God can help us get through. He's in there. I thought I was going to preach tonight on the subject of how you pray for lost people. Say, I'm going to throw this one on him. You got people in your, in your family that uh, you're, they're lost and you don't know what to do? I'm telling you that Romans 8, 26 through 27, is, that's the strategy. First of all, you need to know how to pray for them. You need to wait before God. Well, I told them they need to come to church. You didn't do any good. That's not how they... Usually, that's not going to have them they're breaking through. We're going to have to get in there with the Holy Ghost and let him begin to groan out. Oh, I love it. Get to the other side of the mountain. He wants us to break through in Jesus' name. We got a lot against us. I got our flesh. I got my selfishness, my pride. I got all the issues that are in the way. So I'm groaning in myself, and the Holy Ghost is groaning in me. But if we listen and we walk in the Spirit like that, the mind that is set upon the Spirit is what? Life 
and peace. You troubled tonight? There's some people that are very troubled tonight. I sense this. I know that. Mm -hmm. I don't know how I know that, but I know there's not. There's a bunch of people here tonight that are very troubled about issues of life, different things. I'm, 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 I'm trying to share with you some hope. I'm telling you that there's heavenly hope here tonight. And it, what I'm saying to you does not necessarily mean that all your problems are going to stop. They probably aren't. But I tell you what, God will start birthing something on Sinai where you'll start becoming a lot more optimistic about your situation. And you'll start realizing, Lord, got this. Yeah. Come on. You know, this is killing me. I didn't even want to get out of the bed and come tonight. But I sure am glad I did because now God's starting to show me that, hey, I got to be about his business here. I don't need to be quitting. I don't need to give up. I got business. The Lord's got things he wants to do. He's, and he begins to show you. It's going to take a while. He'll start talking to you. Be patient. You need to change some things. You need to quit talking to them like this. You need to do different on your part. You need to be kinder. Or you need to do this. Thing. I'm just telling you, he knows. He who searches the heart, he knows what is the mind of the Spirit. He knows. He intercedes. Whenever he tells you something, guarantee you it'll be right. Every time. He ain't never missed it. How many times you missed it? <laughs> About every time. That's why we need him. Oh, my goodness. Well, I guess I'm going to have to quit. I don't really want to, but I guess I will. I really want you to be encouraged. Yes. I really want you to be encouraged. I really want you to know that you got the helper. Groan on the inside, but he's in there if you've been born again. Well, I don't know if I've been born again or not, boys. The first thing you need to do is get born again. You're not here tonight. You never have been born again. This is the best place and time I could think of. You need to get born again tonight. All right, then you're on your way. You get born again. Then you're ready to start engaging. Praise God. Somebody said, well, how do you get born again? Well, it's very simple, really. God's already done the work. Jesus Christ died in our place. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What we got to do is confess his lordship. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. That's not rocket science. I've come short of your glory. But I believe that you are the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Sir, I trust you as my Lord and my Savior. I confess that you were raised from the dead in my behalf. You died for me, and you were raised for my justification. Now, Father, I believe in Jesus' name. I confess Christ as my Lord. I'm saved in Jesus' name. Now, where's the baptistry? <laughs> really? Then you're able to express your faith through a physical act of baptism, but that ain't how we get saved. It's the inward faith. Well, I think I can do that. Yeah, you can. You can do that. And we ought to do it. Everybody in here needs that hope in our heart. Voltaire didn't have it. He was trying to pay his doctor off to give him a few more years. Terrible. They said when he died, he was cursing God. His nurse said, I'll never watch another infidel die. Terrible thing. Isn't that something? for the privilege and the honor of just looking to you. We thank you for the heavenly hope that's been birthed in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been poured out within us. Lord, we bless you and we thank you so much. In Jesus' name, for the finished work of Christ, have your way in our hearts and help us to, we groan, the creation's groaning, but you're groaning within us. Lord, give us that that we need. In Jesus' name we pray. And the people of God say, Amen. Brother Bill. Amen. Friends, listen. This altar is open.